today's scripture is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that who, he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, it is good to, to be back again together. And I was thinking, is it maybe 40 or 30 degrees warmer than it was when we came together this time last week? Which is crazy since it's like still like 19 or something. Um, but uh, we're, man, we are wrapping up the book of Ephesians. We've been going through uh, the book of Ephesians slowly. Let's be praying together just where the Lord has us go from here. Um, we'll go into Easter season and stuff like that. Uh, a goal for 2020 is, um, is, man, it is a privilege, and I love being able to, to seek the Lord during the week and to bring the Word of God and to, for all of us to hear from Him together. Uh, but then it's also really healthy to hear other voices than my voice uh, preaching every week. And so our goal is maybe once every couple months to have someone in 2020 that is not me, that the Lord is having for that day come and preach the Word to us. And so next Sunday is going to be the first time uh, in 2020 that we're going to have uh, Josh Curry is a pastor in Oklahoma City, and uh, he has, uh, of, of pastors, we've had churches just across the country that have just felt a special call to come alongside us, pray for us, and be a part of, of this from where they are. We see that in the book of Acts, too. We see the church of Antioch uh, being instrumental in the church in Ephesus and all sorts of places, and so Josh is one of those pastors in the story of our church. Josh is kind of a Church of Antioch type church pastor that cares greatly about here, has spent three years on a consistent basis praying and leading and, uh, and having uh, just his heart poured out for us. Uh, he came here J January of 2017, I think it was, and I remember I was showing around in the wintertime and he's like, this is going to be the funnest thing ever planting a church here. Like, I can't wait to just be a part of this. And so it's going to be great to have him on the ground with us. And just, uh, I'm praying already and what the Lord would have him share with us while he's here uh, for the weekend, next weekend, and just serving us. Um, our passage this morning in Ephesians could be a passage that we could be like, you know what? It is 2020. Let's just skip this passage. That's a, that's a potential. Let's skip this passage. It seems kind of out of date, and let's go somewhere else and preach something else. And one thing that I've learned in 20-plus years, I, I gave my life to Jesus, and he, he opened my eyes to him and rescued me in 1996. And uh, since then, 1996, 1997, and uh, so of, since that time, I would say I have desired to walk with Jesus. I've desired to know his word, to live out every word 
that he gave us in the Bible. And one thing I've noticed over that time is whenever I'm tempted to skip over a passage, whenever I'm tempted to think this passage doesn't apply to me, these passages must be for some other people at some other time, it's like a speed bump. And what I've realized is I need to slow way down. And I actually need to pay attention to what's happening here because it might actually be a passage that the Lord's going to use. It's kind of like an adage that we hear around here, which is don't tear down a fence until you know why it was put up in the first place, right? It's unwise to just go around tearing down. Let's like spend some time figuring out what's going on here. And what we might find is that the passage today, which I believe is very profitable for us, it's useful for us, it will teach us, it will form us, it'll lead us to repentance, it'll lead us to Jesus himself, it'll be for our good, for our flourishing, and for his fame to focus on slaves and masters in Ephesians 6. Now, some important context going in this morning that I just feel like we need to know before we dive into this first verse of verse 5 is that it's estimated in the first century that there were approximately 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 60 million slaves at one time. Not like over the history, but at one time, 60 million people were slaves in the Roman Empire. That would be about one-third of the entire population. So one out of every three people you'd meet walking around the Roman Empire would be slaves. And at the time of this, more and more of them were becoming Christians, were giving their lives to Jesus, and more and more of their masters were coming to Jesus and giving their lives to him. Aristotle, we'd all, we've all probably heard of Aristotle, right? Aristotle, uh, around this time, uh, before this a little bit, had taught this about slaves. Aristotle had taught that slaves were no more than living tools. They might as well have craftsmen written on them, but they just happened to be alive, okay? Slaves were no more than living tools. The message from Scripture this morning is radically different and is a radical departure from what Aristotle taught and from what, uh, what we're going to see and what was accepted at that time. Jesus, it's important, Jesus didn't automatically abolish slavery in the first century, okay? He didn't automatically abolish slavery. The creator, though, came to his creation. The creator came to his creation and told us we're all equal. We all have equal dignity and worth, equal value, equal need of him, equal access to him. He told us wealth, power, position are all small things compared to two things, loving God and loving our neighbor. He told us and tells us that he is the judge and he will judge all people. His ways are good and treating others as you'd want to be treated is both a simple concept that we can teach our children and have simple songs about and it's also a radical way for us to live. It is Christians, though. It's indeed Christians like Ulada Equiano. Ulada Equiano, uh, E-Q-U-I-A-N-O. He's got a great book you can buy on Amazon. Um, lived in the, um, the 1700s. Uh, Ulada Equiano, Hannah Moore, William Wilberforce. These were followers of Jesus who would radically shine his light and would be used by God to 
end the slave trade in the British Empire. Men like John Newton would even write about the amazing grace. The writer of Amazing Grace would write about the amazing grace of Jesus to forgive people like him who had treated humans in a way that humans made in the image of God should never be treated. Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King Jr., would awaken a nation to the realities of racism where consciences had been seared, God's word had been twisted, and uh, needed darkness that was there needed to be pushed back so that followers of the light of the world could shine and could shine into those injustices. This has happened, and it needs to continue happening with, the, the, uh, with sex trade and the slave trade that's attached to that that potentially is happening on our highways close to us. We need to be the people who are stepping into that, to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Slaves and masters are our focus today, but what, what I want to encourage us is that um, this passage is shocking in the sense that this, it doesn't automatically tell slaves to rise up and rebel. The message to people in the first century was not that you should rise up and rebel. It tells slaves a much different message. In the previous two sections in Ephesians, okay? So if you remember the last two weeks we've been in Ephesians, two weeks ago focusing on marriage in chapter 5, 22 through 33, and then last week in 6, 1 through 4 on children and the relationship with children and parents, is that when we saw those in both of those sections, one of the things that God did was in sharing us how a marriage should function, he shared his design for it as he created it. Okay? So that's important to grasp that. Sometimes in our culture, we hear these messages or we read verses, and they're disconnected from everything around it. So remember, where we're coming from is in marriage, there is this, like, I designed this thing, here's how it should flourish. With parenting, last week, I designed this thing, Here's how it should flourish. Here, what's fascinating is he doesn't go there. He doesn't say, I designed slavery and master system. He didn't do that. And, and as Casey was praying even with the fall and the things that people with free will did that were blasphemous in the eyes of God. He did not create this, but he said, but what he's going to do is say, if you find yourself in this situation, here's immediately how to act. Now, for us, uh, what he did say, though, and, uh, and is that we don't see in this passage anything about God creating the relationship of slaves and master. He didn't create this. And even in 1 Corinthians 7.21, what's interesting in 1 Corinthians 7.21 is that Paul even encourages slaves, if you can get free, get free. If you have the opportunity to be free, be free. Okay, so that's, all of that, I feel like, is a foundation for us to be able to receive these four verses that we're focusing on today, okay? It's all a foundation of how do we even approach this. And I think this passage today is a massive passage for us about work. And I think we're going to see how this is about work. You see, the worst job, the worst job that a third of the people in Ephesus could have is as a slave. That's the worst job you could have if you live in the first century. So scripture takes the worst job and sets the example of how a Christian should approach job and work if you find yourself in that situation. So 
This is a passage about the type of slave you should be, the type of master you should be. If you're not a slave, though, this passage is teaching all of us on the type of worker we should be. So if this is expected of like the lowest common denominator, then it's surely expected of us too and should even be easier for us to live out than it was for a person in the worst job in the first century. Okay, so let's look at verse 5, chapter 6. This message was revolutionary then, and if we let it, if we let the Lord counsel us, it is revolutionary now. Verse 5, bond servants. This is the Greek word doulos, means slaves, bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now, we mentioned this two Sundays ago. We mentioned this last week. If obedience means sin, if obedience means harm, if obedience means doing something that is against the ways of God, then what you should do is you should obey your higher authority, which is God. And you should refrain from obeying them in those situations. You don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, so you still seek to obey them but you always obey your highest authority, God, whenever there's question towards your safety, towards harm, towards some things that are dishonoring, and so forth. So slaves, though, instead of rebelling or fighting back, here they are told, you should look to your earthly masters and obey them with fear and trembling, realizing God has placed them, placed you in a relationship at the time where there is someone in authority over you. And that should make you tremble, that there is someone in authority over you. We'd say today a manager, a boss, board of directors, we should tremble that someone on earth is leading us. This isn't, this isn't supposed to be uh, for us to approach this with uh, like looking good on the outside, But look at this, with a sincere heart, we should actually truly feel this way, not just kind of make them think that we feel this way, but we should, with a sincere heart, be in awe with them in the same way that we would Christ. So if we're just kind of like putting on a mask and being like Jesus, then we kind of go and live differently. It's like, no, we should sincerely have awe when we look to Jesus And here, man, this is challenging, but there needs to be an awe in each of us that we are in an authority relationship with another human being, another human being made by God, and that person is in authority over us. And from a genuine heart, we tremble, not because necessarily of that person, we tremble because we're following Jesus. We will be with him forever. Jesus is our treasure Jesus has our treasure. We can follow others because of this. This is it. We can follow others because we're content and it's a joy to follow Jesus. We're not trying to be our own savior. We're not trying to be the king of the world. He is the savior. He is the king of the world. Jesus names us. Jesus has his claim on us. We recognize a boss is one of the closest relationships of authority we have on earth. 
if we despise our boss, that may carry over to how we view Jesus. If we have hatred towards those in authority over us, that can lead into the way that we look to the one who calls us to die and live in him and to follow him closely and for his words to be our delight. If we sincerely love following an authority, our boss, man, this is my prayer for our community, is that if we sincerely love following an authority, our boss gets to taste and experience a little bit about how we love and follow our Savior. If your boss is like, whoa, who are you and why are you treating me this way? Most people despise me and you seem to like want to make me like have a good day. And it's like, yeah, I know it's kind of crazy, but like I want my Savior to like delight in me as I delight in him. And uh, I just figured you could like catch a whiff of that, you know, or whatever. By how, and you, know, you put it in your own words, right? But, uh, but then verse 6, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers. Some people think maybe Paul even invented words by writing those two words. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. These are super unique words, and Christian slaves are not supposed to work hard only when their master is watching them. Some economists and people have put a lot of, of like, study into this and been like, you know what, we see in like sociology that a lot of times employees will want to do a good job because there's something in it for them. So in some ways, you're maybe doing it for yourself. You know, if it's a profit sharing program, if it's, you know, whatever it may be, if it's being able to climb up the ladder, so you're doing good, but you're really doing good because of you is why you're doing good. And uh, here, though, what they've seen is slaves had none of that. Slaves weren't like, hey, I'm going to do an awesome job. So that, and they're like, oh, there's, no, there's really no value. For, there, there's no motivation for me to do an incredible job. What they gain is nothing materially from working hard. And they're told, don't do this when your boss is looking. Do this even more. Integrity is what you do when no one's looking, Right? But what they gain is doing the will of God from their heart. They get to render service with a good will. Uh, we might say to our kids, with a happy heart, do this with a happy heart, you know? And like, that's us. We get, to, we get to do this with a happy heart. And we get to see Jesus live this out. Jesus isn't calling anybody to do what he hasn't done. One of the most menial tasks that a slave in the first century could do was wash someone's feet, right? I mean, I know that there are people who have have things where like you would gag if you had to even look at the foot of everybody in this room, right? Uh, but a slave, and then even touch it, right? But you're not just touching someone else's feet. What you're doing is in the first century, like the Roman road system was incredible. They had like the highway system way before we set out highways and all that stuff. So they had highways, but uh, most of the side streets in Israel were dirt, and just the way that the climate is in that area, that a lot of people wore sandals, like open-toed sandals, like, you know, more open than like Crocs and stuff, right? Like open-toed sandals on dusty streets. 
And when you're walking around, some of you have been in like developing countries where you just get like dirt from here down, no matter where you are and spending a day somewhere. And that's how they would have dirt from like here down. And when you walk into a house for dinner time, instead of bringing the dirt in, you know, there's kind of like a wash your hands before dinner. You feel fresh, throw some water on your face. And when they walked into a house, the freshening hospitality thing to do was to make sure everybody's feet were nice and clean so they could come in for the evening and have a meal together and everything. And Jesus delighted. Jesus wasn't gagging as he was at the feet of the disciples. He was delighting to wash the feet of his disciples, to do the lowest slave thing that you could do because he loved the ones that he was with. Servants of the one who became the servant of men Christian slaves will enthusiastically obey Jesus in this respect. Scripture doesn't show this to be like, hey, if you really want to get rich quick, here's the way to be an employee, or here's the way to be a boss. If you, this, living this out is taking the long view. Living this out is not demanding our rights, not demanding an immediate reward. These people are living for a lasting reward. We're living for a lasting reward. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. We've been told, it's been revealed to us that there is a final judgment coming. Man, if... I mean, God, several times, when we think of some of the most horrendous things in history, he's like, I'm the judge. These things don't slide past. I am the judge. Scripture is not hesitant to let us know that judgment is coming. The life we live here deeply affects the life we live there. That's been revealed to us. There's no, we don't have to be smart enough to figure that out. He loves us enough to reveal that to us. Scripture is clear earlier in Ephesians. Here's what we can get. We can get off here. So here's where scripture needs to keep us in the center here is that it's not our works that save us. Okay. So it's not like, hey, have a happy heart. If not, you're going to go to hell. No, judgment is coming. Our works are very important, but it's not by works that we're saved. We are saved by faith, faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a close uh, referent here. He gets the credit. He gets the praise. If we were saved by works, heaven would be full of people saying, man, proud people boasting about how great they were to make it to heaven. That would be hell, right? If it's full of a bunch of, of proud people being forever proud that they achieved heaven. And it's like, that is not Heaven is full of people saying, I am unworthy to be here, and Jesus is worthy, and that's why I'm here. But we are not saved by works, but saved people have works that look like things Jesus would do. As I observe Casey's life, I'm like, huh, if he didn't know Jesus, and he knows Jesus, that conversation looks more like Jesus than it would be if he just lived his whole life just the way he wanted to go. 
When we do good in even the darkest moments, where it seems like no one sees the good that we're doing, God sees, and you know the saying that no good deed goes unpunished? We've all heard that in times when our car's broken down or whatever, and we just got done doing something awesome. Well, what is truer is that no good deed goes unseen by our God who rewards and it's okay to be aware of that. It's not like, whoa, I wish I wouldn't know that because I don't want to have impure motives to follow him. He's like, no, I'm actually letting you know this on the front end, is when you think about your relationship to your boss, when you think about your relationship to your employees, no, I'm going to reward people, not with salvation, but I'm going to reward people who live this out, who obey my ways. I mean, we do this as good parents, right? As good parents, we're like, hey, I don't want you to obey me just because I'm going to buy you ice cream. But if you obey me, there might be ice cream. You're like, I, I mean, we do, and you, we want them to do it from the right heart. But here, God is letting us know, like, it's okay to know that he is a God who richly rewards those who follow him. Salvation is enough, and we could feast on that forever, and we will. And then he also, though, gives us so much more. And that is the focus on slaves, employees. Um, man, it applies to everybody, stay-at-home moms. The way that we approach our vocation and the heart that we have in approaching what God, has, what God has called us to be about and do is a huge light to each other, our kids who are watching, our community of what is fueling us, what is changing us. And then in verse 9, as, as he has done in each of these passages, the turn goes from slaves to masters and everything we'll say about here was super countercultural revolutionary had never been said um, was a, a shock to be heard which is masters do the same to them everything that you've just heard where the masters are like man whoo this is going to be awesome do the same to them wow Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. If masters were addressed here, it shows that they were in the room. Not only were they were in the room, but the slaves were in the room too. Some had been coming to Jesus. Some slaves were maybe in the room who had not given their lives to Jesus. Some slaves had. Some masters were in the room who had yet given their lives to Jesus. Some masters had. And here's this message, both sitting in the room, probably not pointing at each other because both recognizing it's going to cost them everything to live this out. And the first words to the masters is everything you've just heard is on you too. And then in addition to that, stop your threatening. God is the only one who can truly threaten someone. It's like he, the master, is seeing a little master threaten his slave and just being like, I'm not impressed. He's got nothing on him. The master doesn't really have the power that he thinks he has. Look at Matthew 10, 28. It says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, have awe at him, tremble at the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Which this is terrifying, and it would be incredibly terrifying if 
if that was the only verse we had. But what's amazing is that we know that this is a good God who offers all salvation. And he's saying that a master needs to know reality so that a master can know when they are leading a human being. They are both standing before God one day who has the authority. The one who made all people is not a fan of bullies. A bully does not understand reality. A bully would not, under, would not treat another human being the way that they are if they are aware of this. All need to know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. There's no partiality with him. He doesn't treat one different from the other. He offers salvation to everybody. He judges everybody. He died for everybody. He lives for everybody. There's no partiality. He doesn't have favorites. Life is too weighty and important for him to have favorites. He offers all life. So, kind of where we go from here, I think there's two huge questions. These are the two big questions we're going to talk about in community group, and I'd love to have you check one out. We just, we eat together, uh, get together, and it's, it's my highlight of the meal, no offense, or highlight of the week for food for me. Nothing against my wife and the meals she prepares and stuff, but uh, Man, it's, it's, it's amazing food. It's not why you go, but it's a, it's a reward for being there. Um, then, uh, but it's a time in the week, seriously, it's a time in the week, and a lot of people don't have this time in the week where they can be known. It's okay to share things that are super heavy. It's okay to share things that are amazing, and we will be next to you in both of those things. We will pray for each other. These are words from God for all of us to live out and for our community to hear. And so for us to not just walk away and be like, well, I might remember one thing from there, but instead for us to come back together and, and share a meal together. Jesus did that. I mean, that was how he did ministry, was over meals with friends. And so for us to step into that too. And two big questions for us this morning and big questions that we'll talk about. And you can go on our website or sign up for the, uh, the happenings or just talk to people about how we have a group meeting in Baxter, a group meeting in Maxwell, and two groups meeting in Collins right now. Uh, two big questions for us though is first, am I the best worker they've ever had? Now, this could be, I mean, if your like, main role right now is in the home, you're like, well, I'm the only mom they've ever had, or I'm the dad, ever dad. But like, am I the best worker they've ever had? What a great light we can be in our community if we have the reputation that sacred mission church people are the best people to hire, the best people to rent to, the best people to do a deal with. After we're marching to the beat of a different drum, working in ways that don't make sense, how hard we work with such a great attitude, seeking to make life amazing for those above us, we get asked, why are you like this? And we can say in our own words why we're like this. Say in our own words why we're acting the way that we're acting. Uh, aren't you being a doormat? Well, the one who kind of gave his life for everybody is also now king of all, conqueror of death. I think it turned out okay for him to be a servant of all. I think I can follow him. And, uh, and I don't need to worry about that and trust the Lord to that. And that's the wisdom of us being in community too, is we'll process this and talk this out and seek wisdom from the Lord and how this applies to each of us. But am I the best worker they've ever had? For someone to say, man, if the way you treat Jesus and the way that you see him 
is real, I want that too. That's how I came to Jesus, was just observing other people's, people who were living for him, and I was desperately wanting whatever they had. Um, a kind of a sub-question to that is, uh, are you the best boss they've ever had? Are you the best manager they've ever had? Do your employees get a feel for what serving Jesus feels like just by being led by you? Do your employees get a feel? Do grandkids, kids get a feel for what Jesus feels like serving him just by being led by you? You'd be like, well, that's impossible. That's like an awesome place to be whenever we're interacting with the God of the universe is what you're asking me to do is impossible. Is this possible? Remember, God doesn't give us what we can handle. He gives us what he can handle and what he can do and what he has power to do in us and through us. Uh, and then a second, second thing. So am I the best employer? Am I the best boss I've ever had? And then second one is am I a slave of Jesus? Am I a slave of Jesus? The Apostle Paul never knew slavery personally. He was born, the person writing this was born as a free citizen in Tarsus, in the city of Tarsus, and Saul of Tarsus. And that was a significant thing. It was, uh, it was unique. Uh, but when Paul would introduce himself to people, several times when Paul would introduce himself, look at Romans 1.1, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. We might have this up here. Uh, Romans 1.1, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Titus 1.1, Paul, a slave of God. What makes someone say that? I think in our Collins Maxwell, Baxter, Colo, Nesco, in this area, um, there are a lot of people who have a lot of history with church. I grew up having a lot of history with church, walking into church buildings a lot. And it's kind of like, if I go in and out of my garage, go in and out of my garage, go in and out of my garage, I'm not a car, right? I'm going in and out of my garage, but it didn't change me. I'm, I, even if I do that 10,000 times, I'm still not a car, right? If we go in and out of church, go in and out of church, go in and out of church, even if we do that 10,000 times, it doesn't make us a Christian. It wouldn't make us say I'm a slave of Jesus, right? There's something massively different to make Paul say this. What is it massively different? It's seeing, first of all, Jesus created this place. He made you. He made me. He gave us a law to follow. He wrote it on our hearts so that no one would be out with excuse, without excuse. So no one could be like, I didn't know. It's like, no, we're even told he wrote this on our hearts so that everybody would know. He gave us free will. We're not robots. He chose to be in a relationship of love that's free, not forced. But with our free will, each of us have gone against the law that was written on our hearts. Each of us have turned our back on him, and each one of us has gone our own way, the way that we thought would be best. But instead of walking away from us, which he could have done and we probably would have done, instead of walking away from us, he came and purchased us. He didn't pay a low price for us. He wasn't like, well, they're worth about what, we, what even was paid for him and given for him. 
But instead, what he did was he paid a high price for us. He went all in. He paid the fullest price that could ever be paid. No one would ever be able to outbid him for our souls. If Satan ever came up and was like, I will pay more than Jesus paid because I want them, the father would be like, it cannot be done. There's no higher payment that could ever be paid for the salvation of the souls of humans than Jesus buying us with his life. His death bought us life. He gave his valuable life for us, letting us see the value that we had no idea we had. How do we get this? How do we give our lives to him? It's just putting our life in his capable hands, believing him as our savior. You could walk down the aisle and we'll have people to pray. You could raise your hand. You could also, where you're sitting right now, say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Give your life to him as your Savior, as your Lord. And we could even say gladly because he is completely for us. He's completely good. We can say, you're my master. What you say, I do. The first time you do that is called being saved. That's just kind of the lingo. It's being saved. I was saved today. I gave my life to Jesus. Then doing that every day after is called walking in our salvation. As him being our Lord, when temptation comes, him truly being good, we can say, you're my master. I can't even see right now. This doesn't make sense to me, but you make sense to me. And so my eyes are on you to follow you today. Paul can be a slave of Christ, and then would each of us be slaves of Christ today? And not just like put it on our shirt, but for people to be like, man, you're, are you like a slave of Jesus? Like that is what can change our community, change our families, change our lives. So Lord, would you do this in us? Would you do this through us? Would we be the best employee they've ever had? Would we be the best boss people have ever had? Would we be truly slaves of you for your glory, Lord, in this place we pray? Amen. If the worship team wants to come up, um, <laughs> once again, like, the worst thing we could do today is try harder. The worst thing we could do today is be like, okay, I'm going to double down and really try hard tomorrow at work. That is the worst thing we could do. That's called being religious. And that is a dead end. Because we can't try hard enough and we give God the cold shoulder. The best thing we can do is commune with him and say, you are my Lord. I need you to do what I see as my flourishing, but I don't have the power to live it out. And so he actually gave us communion to commune with him. Uh, that's, it's not a fancy word. It's so we can commune with him. So when we take the bread, it is his body that was lived in our place, paying and living, living the life that we couldn't live, his body given for us, we take it from the inside out, consuming us. 
And then his blood that was shed for us, paying for our sin, washing us white as snow. And so the dark red color is wine, the lighter color is juice. Obey your conscience there. But as we take that to, uh, we'll take it together. The way that we do it here is just a rip off the bread, take the cup, go back, and we'll just stand together and we'll take it as family. Um, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you have not given your life to Jesus, this is bread, this is, is a drink, um, and, and it won't be much else. So instead of taking this, take Jesus. Give your life to him, then come. Uh, for those of us who are walking with Jesus, there's warnings here. Don't take this lightly. Don't take this without confessing known sin, without repenting, uh, then coming and truly communing with him. Not, not like half communing with him, but fully communing with him. So if those who are serving uh, would come up, and uh, if no one's coming up, if people would come up and, uh, and serve, uh, then, uh, then we'll, uh, we'll all come and we'll respond together. So let's come, let's respond to our Savior.